Those kids kind of looked like me. I don't know who they are. But. And one of them is my nephew, okay? So while I'm here, while I have you, my brother goes to this church, okay? So if you see him and you're like, oh, that guy kind of looks like me. Well, it's not me. It's my brother, okay? So just to clear the air, it's been two years now. He's, he comes here. He's a member. So if you see him, it's not me. <laughs> um. I'm, I'm really thankful for the opportunity to preach this morning um, that Alan has given me, and we're going to continue in our series, Entrusted, um, where we look at 2 Timothy. So if you have God's Word with you, if you would turn there to 2 Timothy, we're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. Um, and just a reminder, we've been working through this pastoral letter of Paul for about a month and we are going to look in 2 Timothy. And in that first chapter, Paul was giving Timothy and the Ephesians and us some marching orders for how to love and minister, not only in a fallen world, but also in an imperfect church. We looked at that section in which Paul speaks about the fact that so many of the Christians in Asia Minor that had ministered to him had abandoned him, that he had ministered to had abandoned him. And yet he was encouraged by the faithfulness of Onesiphorus, I think I got it right, who had sought him out in Rome and who had ministered to him when everybody else had fled. And he said that even in recounting that story at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul was reminding Timothy that ministry in the church is a ministry that is met with disappointment from the church. The church lets us down from time to time, right? We don't live and minister in a perfect church, and we don't live and minister in an imperfect world, in an imperfect church, and we must remind ourselves of that often, right? And so we draw encouragement even from Paul's story of a positive example in ministry of Onesiphorus and the sad example of so many of the saints in Asia Minor that really had abandoned him. So now as we continue his exhortation to Timothy, in the passage we're going to read today, and before we look at verses 1 through 7, I want you to see three challenges. So I want you to look for these as we read, okay? And you'll see them in, in some short phrases. So in verse 1, you're going to see, be strengthened by grace. Or to put another way, live in the gospel always. That's the first exhortation of Paul. And we're going to spend some time on what that means this morning. And then in verse 2, you're going to see this challenge to Timothy to entrust to. That is, these things which you have heard from me, entrust to faithful men or pass on the gospel. There's a second challenge. And then in verse 3 through 7, what you're going to see is a third challenge to endure for the gospel. So in verses 1 through 3, he's going to illustrate what it means when he says to Timothy, share in suffering. Using three word pictures, you're going to see the soldier and the athlete and the farmer. All right. And then in verse 7... You're going to see, think over what I say. Here he calls Timothy and us to meditation and reflection on the truth of the word of God. And if we endure in the gospel, the believer's efforts and God's empowering are going to work together. So look for them as we read through this passage. And before we do that, let's ask for God's help this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, this, this is your word. I pray that you would just move me out of the way and allow your word to speak. Um, as you challenge us this morning in your word, as we look at some uncomfortable things, I pray that you would make us all uncomfortable. I pray that you would use it to help us to love you more, to love our family better, and to advance 
the mission of the church, which is your gospel to this whole city. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So 2 Timothy chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that, it is, that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So what we're going to see this morning is live and be strengthened by the gospel, pass on the gospel, and endure for the gospel. So those are the three things I want you to stick with you this morning. Live and be strengthened in the gospel, pass on the gospel, and endure for the gospel. And those are Paul's words of counsel to Timothy in a, in a fallen world, in an imperfect church, facing many persecutions and dangers and snares and toils as he lives and ministers amongst the people of God. Those words were not only inspired words of counsel for a minister of the gospel, but they're suitable for the living of the Christian life. And all those Ephesian, all those Ephesian church members who would have heard this letter read out loud, and those of us this morning who are hearing it this morning, it's, it's suitable for us as well. So I want to take some time today to think about what Paul is saying in each of those challenges. So first... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, right? We see that in verse 1. The very first thing that Paul tells Timothy here is that Christian life and ministry is a life and ministry and a service of dependent responsibility. Dependent responsibility. So when you first hear those words, be strengthened by the grace of Christ, and you think about them a bit, it may sound like a contradiction, right? On the one hand, Timothy is being exhorted to strengthen himself, right? To be ready for vigorous action and service to the Lord. Does anybody remember the phrase or have you heard the phrase cowboy up? Have you heard that before? Now, it originally came from the rodeo, but was made popular, popular at least for me because I do not regularly attend rodeos. Maybe some of you do, but I do not by the Boston Red Sox in 2011, okay? So they had grown tired of being regularly thrown down and stomped by the Yankees. So Kevin Millar said, it's time to cowboy up, right? So they put it on t-shirts, they put it on banners, they, put, they hung it up at the stadium, cowboy up, right? And two years later, they ended up winning the World Series in 2013. So what he's saying here is it's, it's a personal effort, right? It's a call to personal strength and service to God. But Paul says, be strengthened by the grace which is in Christ Jesus. He's calling on Timothy to be ready to work and to work vigorously, but to do so utterly reliant upon the grace which is in Jesus, right? So Timothy is not to summon up the strength within him and do the best he can. He is to be utterly dependent, utterly reliant upon the grace which is in Christ Jesus. And in this exhortation, we see a summation of a massive biblical truth here, that all the Christian life is a matter of dependent 
responsibility. Sometimes we live the Christian life as if God has saved us, right? And now it's up to us. So often we think, okay, I'm, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I've been baptized, I've, I'm done, right? Now I just get to live in God's grace. And other times we live the Christian life as this, well, the Lord's done it all, right? So I'm just gonna sit back, relax. You've probably heard this phrase before, let go and let God. It's a terrible phrase <laughs> because it's all about grace, isn't it? That's what, that's what the phrase is intending to say. And the Apostle Paul will never let us rest on either of those incorrect attitudes because they're unbiblical, right? The Apostle Paul wants us to work by grace, and so he exhorts Timothy and the Ephesians and you and me to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So in every aspect of the Christian life, whether we're worshiping or whether we're serving people that are a little bit hard to serve, whether attempting a challenging feat of ministry, we must simultaneously serve with every possible resource at our disposal, engaged, and at the same time, in utter, humble, dependent reliance upon God. It's a hard thing to figure out. It's a weird thing to understand, but they're working side by side, right? Work hard, rely on the grace of God. So there's a link in every aspect of the Christian life. We are called to be responsible, but at the same time reliant. Why? Because God is sovereign and we are responsible, right? That's the way that God created the world. He's the sovereign ruler of the world. He's the sovereign ruler of his church, right? And he supplies the church what she needs. But at the same time, he expects us to engage ourselves to the fullest of our energies and for his purposes. And so what God requires, he supplies. The prayer of Augustine, I really think, captures this really well. He said, Lord, command what you will, but give what you command. Lord, tell me to do anything you want me to do, but then enable me by your grace, by your supply, to do the things you've called me to do. So the old Puritan motto in prayer was, pray and work. Pray and work. Did you ever have someone ask you or have you ever asked someone, would you consider serving in this ministry? And their response was, well, let me pray about it. Now, sometimes that can be genuine, right? You understand when sometimes a person is very involved in the ministry of the church and they're seeking to perceive whether this would fit into where the Lord has called them to serve, to expand their energy. But far too often, we love to use this as a put-off phrase, don't we? I'll just pray about it. You're, you're not going to pray about it because here's the thing. If you actually pray about it, if you actually get on your knees before the Lord and say, Lord, should I serve in this ministry? He's going to say yes. He's not going to say no, actually. You're not doing too much. I don't want you to be overworked, so don't go serve in this ministry. So for the Puritans, because they were biblical, they reminded us that prayer and work go hand in hand because depending on God and serving God go hand in hand. And Paul is saying to Timothy here, be strengthened by the grace of Christ. Work by grace, right? Work in dependence upon the grace of God. Work knowing that the gift of God is an instrument where he will make your work effective, but be strong in the grace of Christ. And that's a lesson that we all need right? We need to remind ourselves of that daily. If we're doing something in, in ministry that's really hard and difficult, remember that, that God is right there with you. He's going to give you the, 
what you need, the energy you need. He's going to supply you with what you need for that ministry to be effective. So think for just a minute with me about a man who has a small business. And it's a struggling small business. And he was just ahead of the creditors when he would work day by day. He would work all day long and he would come home and eat and he would go back to the office. And when he was working, he was worrying or fretting about the company. He had many sleepless nights. Very often he did not want to take vacation days or close his shop on holidays because he thought he might lose the business, which otherwise would keep the doors open and pay the employees and pay the taxes, put food on the table. So he worked and he worked and he would never rest. Because as he worked, he did not trust that God would supply his need. He worked, but he wasn't strong in the grace of Jesus. So then on the other hand, you have this woman who owns a small business. And she worked hard, right? She, worked, she went in early. She stayed late. But when she came home, she stopped thinking about work. And when a holiday came, she closed up shop. It didn't matter how much was needed to be brought in the next week before payroll had to be made. When it came vacation time, she sent the employees home. She closed up shop for a week, and they all spent time off. She slept well at night. She worked hard, but she didn't worry and fret about what was going on. She was working hard, but trusting God to supply what she couldn't make happen. She couldn't make new business come in the door, right? She couldn't guarantee what was going to happen tomorrow, but she worked hard and trusted God would supply. That is a really hard thing to do. I don't want you to think that I'm just saying this flippantly. Like, just go work hard. Stop worrying. I guarantee you everyone in here is worrying about something, right? That's just what we do. We worry. So realizing that God supplies the grace for whatever we're doing is a hard thing to figure out. Honestly, I think it's something we should pray for daily. Like before you even get out of bed, whatever you're doing that day, Lord, give me the grace to do this. Lord, give me the grace and energy to do this because it's really hard. One pastor said this, our strength is not how long we have been Christians in how much we know about the Bible or in how long we've been in ministry. Our strength this very moment is in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Our strength is derived from our union with Jesus and is supercharged by our daily communion with Jesus. Paul is calling on us to be strengthened, not in ourselves, but in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What God requires, he supplies by his spirit. And so he calls us to activity in the Christian life. And he promises us that he will supply the strength we need to do what he has called us to do. And so here's the first call of Paul to Timothy. Live and be strengthened in the gospel. That in and of itself reminds us that the Christian life is not a life of laziness. It's, a life, it's not a life of leisure and ease. It's a life of work. Now let's look what he says next. So Paul picks up a previous idea that he explained in chapter 1. 13 and 14. So guarding the gospel. Only now it was taking the next step of passing it to others. So Paul notes four stages here of this kind of gospel handoff, right? First, Christ gave this message to Paul. Paul did not make up this message, right? He was given this message. It was entrusted to him through divine revelation, not human intervention. Second, Paul passed the good deposit to Timothy. He says that this message was 
what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. This was the basic message Paul taught publicly in churches, right? And everywhere. What, Paul, what Timothy heard was what Timothy is now to speak. Third, Timothy is to entrust the message to other men. And the Greek word here, and I typically don't do this, but I think it's important. The Greek word here is anthropoi, and it can refer to both men and women, okay? So just because he's saying men here doesn't mean that women don't have to pass this message on. You do, okay? It's this exact same challenge to you, okay? This command to pass on was both for men and for women. So the word commit is the same word Jesus used when he cried out from the cross, which is really interesting, right? Unto your hands, into your hands, I commit my spirit. That's in Luke 23, 46. So just as the son knew his life was safe in the father's hands, so Timothy was to put the gospel into safe hands. So despite the large number of defectors in Asia, apparently there were still a few faithful men in Timothy's sphere of influence, and he is called to invest in them intentionally. Finally, Timothy is to entrust the message to faithful men so that they could teach others also. So think about it. Paul's message went from basically a hole in the ground in Rome to Chattanooga, to right here, right? How did that happen? Some faithful men and some faithful women practiced 2 Timothy 2.2. They did not let the gospel die with them. Every Christian needs to be looking for some faithful believers who can do the same, who can, who can pass it along. But this exhortation to commit to faithful men seems like a third type of instruction, doesn't it? It's more personal. It's more intimate. It's closer to mentoring or what we would call discipleship. And it's certainly true that one of the biggest weaknesses in the church, in the larger church today, is the absence of this 2 Timothy 2.2 ministry. You could think of teaching like three types of golf clubs. How many of you in here play golf or have ever played golf? You know what golf is generally, okay? So you got woods, irons, and a putter. So the woods are big. They're showy. They're impressive. That's actually my favorite part, right? I don't care where this ball goes. I'm just going to hit it as hard as I can, right? That's like preaching publicly. You're able to cover a lot of ground talking to lots of people. Then you have irons. They require finesse and accuracy. Irons are like classrooms or smaller groups where you can get feedback and dialogue. Then there's the putter. This is the club that poor golfers misunderstand, right? And so often fail to practice with because it's, it's personal, right? It's just you. It's for short distances. I liken this to the third way of teaching that's described in 2 Timothy 2.2. Which of the three clubs do you think is most important? So while you need all three of those clubs, right? My observation is that many pastors have a pulpit ministry, right? We have a driver. Some have a classroom ministry. We have an iron. But very, very few use that putter, mentoring a few faithful men. But good golfers remind poor golfers like me and Alan tells me all the time, you need to putt, right? What's the, what's the famous quote that you hear all the time? You drive for show and putt for dough, right? So the guys that are making tons of money playing golf is because they're really, really good on the green at putting, right? They just hit it once, not four or five times, which is what I usually do, right? 
An important lesson from the book of 2 Timothy for Christian leaders is that we should remember the importance of all our clubs. So do you have a few people with whom you're investing your life? Not just for me, not just for ministers, but for you. Do you have some people you're investing your life in? You're pouring into them everything that you have learned in the extent of your life. And as a follower of Jesus, are you pouring it into someone else? Maybe the Lord's speaking to you in this moment that you need to be in a discipleship group or you've been in one and now you need to lead one. And I need you to know that the guy out here leading the charge to make Ridgedale a church that values disciple making is Doug, our senior pastor. I see him every single Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. with a small group of men pouring his life into them like Paul is telling Timothy to do. I remember, gosh, six years ago when we met with another church. They were teaching us what it meant to be a disciple-making church. And before they even started, the first thing they said to us is, this is not going to work if your senior pastor is not making disciples. If he's not out there in front of everyone else, meeting with men weekly, discipling them so that they will disciple others. If that's not happening, this initiative is not going to work in your church. And I'll tell you right now, we're in the fifth year of replication because Doug had took that to heart. And he's been doing it every single year, every single week. And honestly, this is true for every single one of the ministers here at Ridgedale. We've, we've all taken D groups. We've all met with men weekly. And I want more than anything for Ridgedale, what I want more than anything for Ridgedale is that when the people of Chattanooga talk about Ridgedale, not only do they mention our love for Jesus, our deep care for the city and its people, but that we deeply desire to make disciples in the same way Jesus did. So if you want to lead a group, we need more leaders, okay? Please talk to me after worship. If you have, if you have questions or hesitations, what is a D group? What does that mean? Is it an investment? Yes. Is it hard work? Yes. Is it going to change your life? Yes. So look at verse 3. One translation says, suffer hardship with me. Okay? Paul says to Timothy, he's reminding Timothy that Christian life and ministry expects hardship and embraces it. Way too many Christians are stunned and shocked when Christians in their own congregations let them down. They act as if if it's some kind of disaster unparalleled in human history. It's never happened before when the Christian church lets them down. And Paul is saying, Timothy, like he just told them, Timothy, I've been let down by everybody in Asia Minor, all of them. I led more of them to Christ. I started more of their churches. They let me down. And so a word of warning to Timothy. Timothy, don't go into the Christian ministry don't go into your walk as a Christian thinking that the church is always going to come through for you because it's not. I'm a broken person, okay? I'm going to make mistakes. I probably made some this week. I know I made some this week. But that's why we do this together, right? Because we're a family who deeply cares for each other, especially when we mess up. So he's not speaking. Well, here... He's not speaking of an imperfect church. He's speaking about the natural hardships, not only of Christian life in general, but of Christian ministry. And he says, 
Here's a mindset I want you to have, Timothy. I want you to have a mindset that expects hardship. You're not surprised when it comes along. When building up the church turns out to be hard work, don't be discouraged by that. Timothy, don't be surprised by that. Expect it because the Christian life is a life of hardships. And Timothy, here's the attitude I want you to have. Be ready to suffer with me. Have a mindset that expects hard work and suffering in the gospel life and ministry. That's a hard thing to hear, right? It's easy to say, okay, if you accept Jesus into your life, everything's going to be really easy. Let me explain to you why it's not going to be easy. Because Satan hates you. Satan hates your family. He hates your friends. He hates your boss. He hates this church. He's going to do everything he can to discourage you, to stop doing what you're doing, which is sharing the love of Jesus to others and in this city. That's why suffering comes. That's why it's hard. And that's so important for us, right? Especially here. We live in an affluent society, right? We cherish ease and comfort. I cherish ease and comfort. Everybody loves it, right? But when hardship comes along, typically we're surprised by it. We say, oh, something, something must be wrong. It's not supposed to be this way. It's supposed to be easy. The church is supposed to grow easy. The church is supposed to work easy. The Christian life is supposed to be easy. I'm supposed to become more godly. Easy. And this hardship... I don't understand it. I don't know why it's happening to me. So let's look at three applications that Paul gives us to help us think through that well. The Apostle Paul says, Timothy, here's the mindset I want you to have. I want you to have the mindset of a soldier. I want you to have the mindset of an athlete. And I want you to have the mindset of the farmer. So look at verse 4. In Paul's day, this is the first one, I want you to have the mindset of a soldier. So in Paul's day, soldiers for the Roman army were recruited away from their jobs. They might be farmers. And they've been recruited by the captain or the general into service, right? And they're paid for it while they're in service of the, of the Roman army. But they're not thinking about that farm that's back home, right? You remember Caesar saying to Maximus and the gladiator, I don't know how many of you have seen that, how long have you been away from your wife and your home? Do you remember Maximus's response? He said, Two years, 246 days, and this morning. His service to Caesar had taken him away from home for almost three years, right? But he suffered that hardship as a good soldier. And Paul is saying, Christian, be ready for the kinds of sacrifices and hardships that are called for the Christian life. Don't be surprised. Next, he speaks of an athlete. Athletes in ancient Greek games were required to come before judges before the contest even started and swear to Zeus and swear that they had been in training for at least 10 months. That's probably what Paul means when he says you can't win the prize unless you compete according to the rules. And unless you can come and you can acknowledge that you've been in hard training for 10 months, you, hey, they won't even let you compete. So perhaps if Paul were alive today, he may have added athletes can't use performance enhancing drugs, right? Baseball pitchers can't scuff up the baseball. It's going to give you an unfair advantage. To be a winner, you must play by the rules. And to be a winner, you must train. Paul tells Timothy elsewhere, train yourself in godliness. We see that in 1 Timothy 4.7. There are no shortcuts in sports. It requires discipline. Millions admire athletes, right? We're going to watch the NFL today and we're going to admire their athletic ability. But most of us sitting on that couch are not saying, wow, I think I could do that. I could do that. I could do this. This is, not, this is not hard. We love to enjoy their performances, but few of us 
are attempting their training. Like that's what makes those NFL players different. They're committed to hours and hours and hours of training. And many Christians want God's blessing on their life without playing by his rules or his training. Please understand that Paul is not talking about rule keeping to earn salvation, right? He's talking about the desire of every true believer to walk in godliness accordance, in accordance with God's word. We have rules, right? Which we are to live by. Our lives are to be governed by the Bible. Once again, we do this by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I was listening to this podcast this week, and this guy went on this rant about, wouldn't it be really great if, like, as humans, if we just had this book or manuscript or some kind of lesson that we could read that would help us understand how to navigate life? I'm just thinking, uh, (laughs) there is one, right? The Bible. If athletes can train and compete for trophies and men's applause, how much more should we train and sweat for that which is eternal? And lastly, he speaks to the farmer. So before that farmer gets the yield, he's got to break up the soil. He's got to prepare the soil. He's got to clear it of rocks. He's got to plant it. He's got to endure all the threats of weather, and then he receives his reward. My son Perry had this short window of his life where he really wanted to be a farmer, right? So Chris Frakes, in his infinite wisdom, gave him a big bag of potatoes and said, plant these and see if you can grow your own potatoes. So after about a 30-minute argument of trying to convince him not to dig a hole in the middle of the backyard, I said, why don't we do it like over here in this flower bed, you can dig all you want. So he was out there for several hours working the ground. Our backyard is really rocky, right? So he was digging, 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 finally planted them, watered them, waited, watered them, waited. I had to water them because he eventually didn't water them. But eventually we had some potatoes, right? And we ate some potatoes one night once. And they were good. (laughs) But he did it. Right? He received his reward of hard work. All of these images are images that Paul gives us to remind us of the sacrifices and the hard work that is the part of the Christian life, right? Paul says to Timothy, hard work, work hard and don't expect it to be easy. So another really favorite movie of mine, Braveheart. One of the most famous scenes we see William Wallace attempting to change the mindset of some scared soldiers, right? He's trying to get them to look at this thing from a different perspective. Instead of thinking, woe is me, here we are, outnumbered, sure to be slaughtered. He's trying to get them to look at their situation differently. And he he gives this speech. Sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace. And some soldier says, William Wallace is seven feet tall. You're not seven feet tall. And he says, yes, I've heard. This guy kills kills men by the hundreds. And if he were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes. He said, I am William Wallace, and I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You have come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What would you do without freedom? Will you fight? And another soldier says, fight against that? No, we're going to run and we're going to live. And then Wallace says, fight and you may die. Run and you'll live, at least for a while. 
and dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and to tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. And he raises up his sword and yells and everybody changes their perspective, right? You see what he's saying is, we will glory in the fact that we're here to fight this fight. And if we don't fight, well, we'll curse the day that we weren't here to go through this trial. He changes their mindset about how to look at this battle. And Paul is saying to Timothy, embrace hardship. In the first chapter, we see that we are called to experience the wounds of an imperfect church, that we should in this affluent, prosperous society as Christians quickly embrace that opportunity to endure the hurt of an imperfect church because we have so few trials relative to our Christian brothers. We have so few here, okay? Around the world, hardships and trials are, they're being bombarded every day. We are not. If we get one a week, one a month, we'll be, we're lucky. So Paul concluded these examples by saying in verse seven, consider what I say for the Lord. Consider what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. That's Bible study 101, right? Students of scripture must consider God's word carefully in order to understand it. Students of scripture should also study with this promise in view. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. To be a great student of scripture, you need to work hard and have a heart of humility. In all of this, we must remember Jesus, okay? Remember the one who conquered our enemies, is seated at the right hand, and gives sufficient grace that we may endure hardship. And if we endure through him, we will reign with him. And when your faith ends in sight, and you hear the Savior say, well done, I promise that you will not regret living and passing on and suffering for the gospel as a good soldier and a disciplined athlete and a hardworking farmer. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this passage. I know it's, it's hard to hear sometimes that we're gonna face hardship, but you promise to love and care for us in spite of that hardship. I pray this morning, if anyone is in this room and they don't have a relationship with Jesus because they're worried about hardship, I pray that wouldn't hinder them from, from stepping out in faith and saying, I'm giving my life to the Lord because I know he will be with me through hardship. He'll be with me through suffering. I pray, Lord, that you would use us all this week to love our families better, to love our city better. I pray all these things in your son's name.